is your award-winning BCFM on 93.2, 24 hours a day. So, Ed, let's get uh, actually into why you're here, because otherwise I will get distracted talking about um, magic breathing techniques all day. Um, yeah, so you are from Roots Allotments. Um, tell us all about Roots Allotments. How is it different from normal allotments? What do you do? Yeah, get, take it away. Sure. So uh, Roots Allotments is a concept that we set up and launched last year after we realised that there were astronomical waiting lists all around the country. Luckily, my one of my partners in the business uh will his family farmed some land outside of bath so we were able to get to get access to some land to set this up relatively easily um but we basically as part of our service we supply seeds tools online education in-person education compost um yeah, uh, yeah. What, what, and sort of, so it's different from normal council because anyone allotments, because anyone who's tried to get a council allotment will know that there's waiting lists of often years. Um, so you're different from that because you're like you're a small, independent, private thing. But you were also telling me that like the techniques you use are different. Like you don't dig the land as much. Is that right? Yeah, that's so true. So when we look at conventional farming and the way it's been done over the last 100 years, there's a lot of heavy machinery involved. There's a lot of plowing involved. Um, what what both of those things do is actually uh, create compaction in the ground, which doesn't create a great environment for the microbes that live in the soil. Now, a lot of scientists worldwide are starting to say that all health starts from within the soil. And if we have dying soils that are depleted of nutrients, then our vegetables will also be depleted of nutrients. So a technique that we use is called no dig, where you put a layer of cardboard or recycled craft paper, and then you can use two inches to 12 inches of compost on top of that. Then you plant straight into the compost. By the time the roots have sort of got down to the cardboard, it's all wet, it's pretty degraded, and then they can find their way into the soil below. So opposed to traditional gardening or allotmenting where you might rotivate or double dig the ground before you plant directly into it we're not doing any of that so we're not disrupting any of the microbes that live in the soil we're letting them stay there they'll come up into the beds and they'll start to work it for us okay and so so it's um so it's quicker and easier it's not as backbreaking work as well for people who want to do it who are maybe interested in gardening but are like oh i don't know if i can spend you know two days digging everything up again it's sort of easier than that yeah i think it saves about 40 percent of your time so you can spend that time doing the really awesome creative part of gardening which is planting seeds nurturing your little seedlings and then putting together a little planting plan and putting it all on your patch and then just sort of watching it go and caring for it it sort of it takes out that back-breaking start of the season which not many people like I personally spent a lot of time in front of a laptop and just having to not do that is lovely yeah so what kind of inspired you so you said it's you and some of your friends have set this up what inspired you guys to do this in the first place so this this um the idea came it came from all of us but i basically started growing during the first lockdown i uh, quit my job in london after becoming a bit frustrated having to work on climate imaging companies whilst i was going to climate protests at the weekend and i just couldn't deal with that cognitive dissonance inside me so i just gave everything up moved back home with my grandpa grandma in devon and when lockdown happened i started seeing all of these queues outside the supermarket and i just thought wow we're in rural devon there shouldn't be queues outside the supermarket this is unheard of so i said to my family because they they used to love going to the supermarket a lot i said (laughs) what what would you do if you couldn't get your food tomorrow and those queues were so big that everyone panicked bought all of the food 
and they just didn't have a very good answer for me. So luckily for them, I'd spent about five months before that investigating the no-dig technique. I was 100% sold on it, and I managed to convince them to give me a little 66 square meter patch in the back of my grandma's garden. I spent that whole year just like really getting into growing. I was amazed by the results that I had. It was all these books and videos and everything make it out to be so complicated, but I just sort of got over that initial anxiety and started putting seeds in the ground, started sowing seeds in oatly containers, milk cartons, coffee cups. What sort of stuff did you grow? Can you remember? Yeah, I grew pod peas, which I love. They never make it to the kitchen. I'm always just, they're like my snack when I'm gardening. And my grandpa, who um, unfortunately suffers from dementia, he potters down to the garden and eats pod peas straight off the bush, which is so refreshing because he's a really difficult eater. Oh, that's lovely. So it's something that, yeah, he can kind of do himself and it's, yeah, and it, it, it's good for him and it's, yeah, and it's it's good for you. And you, well, except that you, there's less pod peas for you, but like overall, that's it's fine. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a big sharer, but I mean, if I can get him away from the Heinz tomato tin soup, then great. He can eat as many peas as he likes. Because <laughs> you were telling me, I didn't realise this, but you were saying that you've heard something about there being lots of different pesticides, like more than we maybe even test for in UK fruit and veg. Is that right? Yeah. So the Soil Association, who are actually based in Bristol, um, they did a cocktail effect study where they looked into uh, different produce that's on offer in the supermarkets. Now, the UK government only tests for one pesticide, fertiliser or herbicide to be over the legal limit. But what they discovered was that there could be up to 14 different ones in our produce. Oh, my goodness. So this means that we are essentially eating poison, which is not good for anyone. So one of the rules that we have at Roots is that there's, there's no chemicals involved. We do as organic as we possibly can without being called organic. So I teach people how to make uh, fertilizer out of comfrey, nettles, borage, seaweed. I teach people how to make their own compost on their patch so you can recycle your raw kitchen food waste. So it's just about trying to educate people on this sort of ancestral knowledge that we've sort of lost because of the globalised food chains. And people are so desperate to feel connected to the earth again. It's such a shame that the waiting lists across the country are so big, which is why we want to move fast and get people access to the space that they need as quick as possible. And you were saying something about like there's been studies on this is beneficial for children and for children's diets to get involved in growing or gardening or allotmenting. Is that right? Yeah. So before we set up the project, we came across some statistics where it said kids who grow their own are twice as likely to eat their five a day. Now, we thought, brilliant. This is amazing. If we can if we can help children become happier, healthier kids, they're going to be happier, healthier adults, which then means we'll live on a happier, healthier planet if we're all feeling good about ourselves. So across the last um, summer in Bath, I have had parents come up to me and say, my kids didn't eat beans, chard or spinach before. Now we've grown them. They love them. They can't get enough of it. I've had Young children run up to me while I was weeding someone's patch because that's something we offer as well, weeding and watering. If you go away on holiday or if you just can't get down, then we can do it for you. Um, but I had, this, I had this young girl who ran up to me with the biggest hands, a clutch full of lettuce, and she was like, look what I grew! And I was oh, like, are you going to so eat lovely. it? <laughs> what did she say? She said, yes! And I was like, oh, this is exactly what I want to hear. So as part of our mission to get kids involved in growing 
we uh, donate patches to local schools. If they're lo- if they're not a school in the local vicinity, then we we offer £100 a month to schools as a travel allowance to bring their children to our site so we can give them interactive lessons. Oh, so you're, you've already got like these partnerships going with some local schools to or to offer to bring the to bring the children to come and just spend like a day or a few hours learning about it. Yeah, we have a partnership with three schools in Bath and we are looking for schools in Bristol who we want to partner with for our new site, which is on uh, near Abbots Lee. So we because we couldn't find any schools in that local vicinity, we want to provide this travel allowance to help them get outside of the city into a rural setting and show those kids how to grow their own food and educate them on the fact that this is not exactly what it looks like when it comes off the supermarket shelf. So I was, I was telling the kids, I was showing them, I said, what do you think these are? And they were, they were pea seeds. I said, what do you think the seed of a pea is? And they said, oh, we don't know, we don't, we don't, we don't know. And then I showed them them and they went, they're peas. I said, oh. yes, the pea is the seed and the food. It's, it's life itself. Oh, wow. Oh, that's so lovely. And um, you said, so you've got a site in Bath and you're opening or you're hoping to open soon a site in Bristol. Is that, is that right? And is, is there spaces still on these sites? Uh, yes. So our Bath site, we are fully sold out, but we have a small waiting list and we... Um, we have a process where if someone isn't using their patch, then we, we will move them on because we know that, that this access to a growing space is so small in the UK that if someone's not making use of it, then let's get someone in who is going to be infused about it. So in Bath, yeah, we've got about 20 people waiting list. But if you are in the area, feel free to sign up. I'm sure that it won't be as long as the council waiting list, which are looking at about seven years. <laughs> uh, we're also opening another site on the other side of Bath too, um, because we realise that there's probably demand from both sides of the city. And then our site in Bristol should hopefully open in a couple of months. And there's still spaces on the site in Bristol, is that right? Yes, there are. I think we've, we have had about 30% of our membership claimed. Um, but Ed, I was wondering if we could talk a bit more about like the mental health benefits for growing, because I'm sure, um, I'm sure all of us have sort of become more and more aware in the last few years about how important, especially with lockdown when we couldn't go outside, how important it is to be outside and be in nature. And I wondered what you've kind of come across in your work with Roots around that. Mm, so, my own personal story to do with um, sort of mental well-being, I guess, is started in lockdown. Um, unfortunately, I lost my grandpa. Um, in lockdown and one thing that he loved doing was growing tomatoes in his greenhouse so I I've I've got his seeds and I carry them on every year and I try and grow tomatoes in his memory because it helps me feel connected to him and the planet and over lockdown when I had that opportunity to grow just putting seeds in the ground nurturing them watching them grow caring for them and then feeling the benefits of eating the chemical free nutritious vegetables that I produced that really helped me heal and start to deal with a lot of the grief process. So, I mean, I guess that's my, that's my personal sort of story on it. And growing really helps me just keep level in quite a chaotic world. Now, if I'm going to talk about our, our members in Bath, we did a recent survey and 93% of them said that they felt a well-being boost from growing their own vegetables. So it is really true that if you can get outside and you get your hands in the soil and you connect with nature, you're going to feel a lot better. And I know that the stats are saying that the average UK adult only spends 15 minutes outside a day. 15 minutes a day? Yeah. That's 
Whoa, that's that's mad. Yeah, it's not great, is it? So if we can get outside and spend more time in nature, understanding it, connecting with it, then we will become happier and healthier human beings. Now, the other thing that I probably should talk about is um, the UK is, is going through a mental health crisis at the moment. I think we've got one in five people who are depressed. We've got 45% of UK adults who are lonely occasionally. And we have 3.3 million people who are lonely all the time. Now, because we've built our societies around TV screens and the sofa and being indoors, we have become gradually ever more disconnected. Yeah, definitely. I think the Roots Project offers people a real opportunity to connect with each other and the people who are in their local area. Now, we we host talks, workshops, events from our TP to bring people together. So when we do give out seeds to the community, we, everyone comes and collects them at the same time. When we give out plants, everyone comes and collects them at the same time. You get to know your patch neighbours, you get talking. I've heard people say on site, before I came here, I'd struggled to make friends since the last lockdown. And now that I've come here, I've connected with other people over the common ground of nature and growing, and I'm having a really fulfilling time. And I suppose there's that thing as well about, like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm a terrible gardener. Like, I struggle to keep spider plants alive. I wish I was lying. I, I somehow managed to kill off cactuses. So I am not your best customer. But there are people out there who have more of a green thumb. And um, I'm at... I, I understand, obviously, it's also a very connecting thing for people to be sharing tips and ideas and even sharing seeds and sharing, you know, so, you know, your sort of allotment neighbours, you get to know them, I imagine, you sort of chat and, and, and that, because I know we were talking earlier about it's really, you know, you have schools and kids coming down and you were saying to me earlier that it's some families have found it really bonding as a family, but it's also not just for kids or families, it is for single people or widowed people or divorced people or couples or whoever is that right yeah that's so true so when you sort of come down to the bath allotment site it's really representative of what society looks like we have a really great mix of people when we first set up the project we didn't know who we were gonna who was going to be our audience but it turns out that growing is for everyone and it is such a diverse range of people who are into it and um yeah we've we've had families who um who have autistic kids who said to me that this experience of being able to focus on growing and being outside has really helped just sort of create this lovely bond as a family unit and I know that people with autism tend to want to be in nature a lot more so it's like such a lovely thing to hear and see and when you go down to the site in summer people are laughing they're having a good time they're enjoying themselves and it's like it is so refreshing when we as a society and a world have been through such a chaotic past few years and the future that we're looking at is quite uncertain so it it helps you feel grounded and helps you just realize that yes I can do my little bit and we can all be in this together and we can create positive change and put as much positive energy out into the universe as possible and try and sort of change what's going on at the moment. Yeah, brilliant. And I mean, so you've only been going about a year is what amazed me because like from, you know, from your website, from what you've achieved so far, it looked like you've been going a lot longer. But I mean, obviously, you are all very committed and very skilled. And so you've been you've had the the site in Bath open about a year. You're open. You're hoping to open this one in Abbotsley in a couple of months. And then what's like, what else have you got? What are your dreams? Like, what else have you got in mind? Who else is kind of approaching you about taking this further? 
Yeah, I guess our dream is to have a Roots allotments in, in every single city in the UK and then also look at the towns and where people want to grow. We want to come to wherever people have the appetite to grow. So we're having really positive conversations in Brighton, in Hounslow, in Milton Keynes, in Leeds, in Nottingham. It's, it is unbelievable the amount of positive support that we're receiving from both people in the locations as well as councils they want us to help them understand what the problem is how we've got to this point because the allotments allotments were essentially created in 1908 and nothing much has changed for the last 100 years oh my all right so in terms of like legislation and how they run council allotments have stayed the same for over 100 years pretty much yeah Wow. okay and in 1945 we used to have 1.3 million allotments in the uk okay now we only have 250,000 Oh, so have the rest like been bought up for building on or? Unfortunately so. And it looks like they have been bought for building in sort of lower socioeconomic areas more than any other. So it is the people who are missing out on this for housing that is probably unaffordable. So people who would, people who maybe are living in a more deprived area anyway um, who would maybe struggle to access green spaces anyway with the little green space that they do have available is being taken away from them. Is that right? Exactly, if they'd managed to get on the waiting list too. So what we do at Roots is we offer a really generous discount for anyone who is on e- income support, anyone who works in the services, uh, blue badge holders. We want to help people out to get on the ground and start growing and it's so so important to make it accessible because we do provide a service with everything it does come at a cost and it is slightly more expensive than the council but this is the change that we're trying to put out into the world and we're trying to do it on a grand level and we're trying to reduce those waiting lists because if you look around the whole country they are years and years and years and years and every year that you have to wait on a waiting list is a growing season that you miss out on so that is knowledge that you'll never ever get back again. Right. Gosh. Okay. So you're so yeah. So you're a smaller project, but your waiting lists are low, lower, and you're trying to expand further. I mean, it sounds amazing. What sort of are the main obstacles you're coming up against, or are there like any misunderstandings that you're that you're coming up against as you're trying to bring this to more people? Yeah. So we we do face a bit of resistance at times um, by people who might live close to our sites. Um, it's quite a difficult conversation to navigate, especially when we look at sort of county lines and how people, what people perceive as their local community. As in like people thinking, oh, well, if you start building allotments on, or you start making allotments here, it's going to bring in a whole bunch of people who don't even live in this town. You know, maybe they live just a few miles away, but they don't actually live in this town and we don't want all this extra I don't know, all these all this extra foot traffic. If it feels like that and it's unfortunate I find it a great shame that there are attitudes that people don't consider people who live like two or three miles away from them as part of their society and part of their community when we all live on this island together. It's a pretty crowded island. We all need to get used <laughs> to getting on with each other. And um growing is such a positive force for connecting human beings over this common ground and I just yeah it upsets me that we do face quite a lot of criticism at points when we are trying to grow in a super nature friendly way we use organic seeds we use organic plug plants we don't allow anyone to use chemicals on site 
and we also dedicate 20% of our sites to wildflower meadows and mixed fruit and nut orchards which are open to the public they can come and walk around them oh that's amazing so if someone sort of if you how does it work you sort of negotiate a deal with whoever owns the land saying can we use it lease it for however many years in order to have allotments and then as part of that you're like right 20% of that is going to be for wildflowers or fruit and then the other 80% is going to be allotments that uh, we either hire out privately or we have schools come and work on or things like that exactly that's exactly how it works and this year in Bath because we've got a public footpath that runs at the bottom of our site. I've actually, um, I'm working with Grey Wilder, who are part of Avon Wildlife Trust, to get um, plug, squash plug plants, and we're going to plant them all along the fence, and they're going to climb up the fence, and then anyone who walks past that fence, if they fancy a squash plant, they're free to take that. That's amazing. A squash is delicious, like, well, yeah, to cook with or to carve or whatever, yeah. It really is. And I would suggest, like, if anyone hasn't been to go visit Grow Wilder, they are doing amazing things. And I'm fully in support of what they're up to there. Trying to find that balance of creating a space where humans and nature can thrive whilst food production is involved is so important for all of our futures to work out these ways of how we can work together and move things forward instead of it being a total mechanised industrial agriculture complex and sort of what support is there for people who maybe join up as members who maybe aren't the most confident growers so i know you obviously you said that you can provide an extra service of weeding um, or watering if people are away on holiday but um what other sort of support is there amongst the community in roots allotments so we as well as having our sort of physical community on site we also have a digital community we have a group whatsapp with over 200 people in we've got a closed facebook page they're very, very active. People share knowledge, share experience. They ask questions. If I don't have time to get back to them, someone with green fingers has jumped in there and helped them out. <laughs> That's lovely. So it's not like, it's not really that kind of uh, consumer-seller relationship. It is more of a people getting involved, buying in. It's not sort of people coming to you and it's not, it's not as transactional. It's more organic. To oh, say definitely. That's how it feels. It's, it's, not, it's not like... I've worked in advertising for seven years and like this is not like that. It doesn't feel like that at all. Everyone is here for this common goal and to connect with each other and to create happier, healthier lives. So it's it's really lovely just to see people chatting away. And sometimes I wake up and the WhatsApp group's on like 200 messages and I'm like, whoa! No, okay. And there's no way you have time to read through all that, right? You just sort of skim it. I skim read it. I have to. <laughs> and I'm sure people don't have to join the WhatsApp group if they don't want to. I know I'm in already far too many WhatsApp groups for my own good i'm trying to like detox from them that's it that's so true but i guess if we if we bring it back to sort of advice and support we've also got um a members area where i've i've shot a load of lessons on my mobile phone where i basically take people through the real basics as if you're a beginner and you don't know what you're doing so i'm like this is how you sow a seed this is how you transplant a seed this is how you put it out into your garden this is how you build supports all of that knowledge that I found really hard to get my head around to start off with, I provide to people. Whenever someone signs up to a Roots Allotments membership, they get to have a welcome session with myself where we spend half an hour together. We go to their patch. I show them how to plant. At the moment, I'm showing people how to plant broad beans and garlic. And during that session, they've got their hands in the soil. They understand what spacing is. And then they can carry that knowledge on with them into their growing experience in the future. And this is just something that 
you you simply won't get at a council site. You turn up to your patch, you're faced with six foot weeds. That takes about 30 to 50 hours to clear. By the time you've done that, you then need to get the soil into a good condition, plan the seeds that you want and work out when you're going to plant them. And it is a huge amount of overwhelming information to deal with. So I just wanted to make this as accessible and easy for people to get into growing as possible. Yeah, I mean, maybe those videos are what I need to watch. If you've got one about how to keep a spider plant alive, maybe that's something I need. Um, but yeah, so, um, so if people are interested, if they want to find out more, where do they go? How do they find out more? If they're, if maybe if they want to sign up to your waiting list or the Bristol site or they're like, hey, I have some spare land over near Swindon. Come talk to me about whether we can have allotments there. How do they get in touch with you? Yeah, please get in touch with us at www.rootsallotments.com. You'll also find us on social media with that tag, or you can email my business partner, William at rootsallotments.com. He is all over the land. I'm all about the growing. (laughs) Perfect. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for coming in. We're going to play a bit more music. And then um, uh, Ed's also made me aware of another amazing documentary film that I was not aware of. So we're going to chat a little bit about that after this song. Um, yeah, so we are now at Culture Corner in the last quarter hour of 10 minutes of the show or so. Um, we're just going to talk uh, about a couple of different documentaries that have um, come up. Uh, if you were listening last week, you might have rec- uh, remembered I recommended a viewing of The Oil Machine, which was last night, which I went to go see, which is all about North Sea oil and society's current dependence on oil. And it was a really good documentary. It was very well made, very visually engaging. There was some amazing footage of these massive oil rigs being be- built back in the 70s and high and that was quite awe-inspiring both terrifying in terms of how much effort has been gone in gone into getting this oil but also encouraging in terms of you know human engineering has been able to create these massive oil rigs surely we can create something more sustainable in future um but yeah really well made really interesting and ed you were just telling me something about the uh role of oil in fertilizer and gardening uh yeah so it's pretty horrifying where i think to make uh, two kilograms of synthetic fertilizer you, you, to make one kilogram of synthetic fertilizer you need to burn two liters of diesel so just tying into this industrial agriculture the use of oil in the fertilizers in the tractors it's it's a really vicious cycle that we've got ourselves into and especially when it can if you consider the spreading of synthetic fertilizer on the ground actually kills the microbes and the fungal networks in it so it depletes soil health and then we start to rely on these synthetic fertilizers to create the nutrients and i don't know about you but i've never felt sort of fulfilled from drinking diesel it just doesn't (laughs) happen does it i must admit i've not tried it but maybe i will just for science um but yeah but you're saying that in the netherlands they've actually banned synthetic fertilizers but that's caused complications for the farmers there yeah it has so they've sort of they've they've banned them the use of them in the netherlands there's no real alternative on the scale that the farmers require that means the cost of cow manure has gone up massively the farmers have been protesting this is a serious problem that needs working out and no one's quite sure where we can go to get it there seems to be some hope in uh, sort of natural ailments like uh, seaweed fertilizers which are quite easy to make but it's how do we tackle this on 
the big scale because our agriculture is massive it's worldwide it's global what can we do to start to move away from these synthetic things that are destroying the planet and the soil health yeah because farmers sometimes get quite a lot of stick from environmental protesters being like oh why are you plowing the fields like this why are you using these fertilizers but when you know you're working under a capitalist system where you have to make as much profit as possible or you're going to go bust um things like synthetic fertilizers are a really useful tool and so what you're saying is there are alternatives but maybe they're not at the scale or the speed or efficiency that you know we've been used to exactly unfortunately the sort of industrial agriculture has been spearheaded by big corporations like Bayer and Monsanto who sell seeds they sell pesticides they sell herbicides they sell fertilizers they get farmers trapped into this cycle of death which is death for the planet and death for humans unfortunately so it's just about how do we find these alternative ways of creating food because the mass scale of creating food just simply hasn't worked which is a really nice segue if we wanted to go on to um yeah please so introduce this other um documentary you were telling me about we're going to play the trailer in a minute it's about two and a half minutes long so just uh tell us a little bit about what this documentary about is about and who this person is yeah so vandana shiva is a really really inspiring super strong woman who has been fighting against industrial agricultural complexes for the last 40 years now she's been on a very very exciting journey she started it off in india and now she is worldwide known uh, she's really helped the indian government understand that if they mine their mountains that causes way more damage to the population and the environment than the money that they get out of the mines it causes a loss she showed them with the forests that if they deforest all of their beautiful biodiverse habitats then that creates a loss in the local environment that they then have to pay for she's fought against monsanto she's she's just like such an incredible inspiring woman she's also a single mum my mum's a single mum i just like strong women we need more of them in this world and it's uh, yeah it's a, it's a she's a absolutely commendable human being so the the documentary's called the seeds of vandana shiva it came out last year and it's about her life you said it's quite heavy as well you maybe wouldn't recommend it for young children yeah so we hosted this documentary um, at bath spa locksbrook campus we did a screening for all of our members and i just i suggested that it was a 16 plus because some of the topics are quite heavy she does have a film that is before this which is called seeds of change which is also really amazing um but this one's more of more of an in-depth study into her life and the amazing things she has achieved okay well we're going to play the trailer now and then we'll hopefully have time to come back and just say goodbye before your news at 12 Food is a weapon. When you sell real weapons, you control armies. When you control food, you control society. But when you control seed, you control life on earth. Industrial farming is the single biggest destructive force on the planet today. The war against the earth begins in the mines of men. And I mean men. Vandana Shiva is one of the most prominent activists in the world. Oh my God, he's a hero. This is Bandana Shiva. I'm Dan. That's a part of Bandana. She's a warrior to the patriarchal system that destroys. Vandana was one of the pioneers who started the global seed movement. 
owning intellectual property right on seed is a pathetic attempt at seed dictatorship. We started to fight GMOs through growing seeds and saving seeds. She does knowingly make statements which are clearly inaccurate and incorrect. Demonizes modern agriculture. The organic elite. Anyone who's going to stand up to big corporations is going to come under attack. 40% of the solution to climate change lies in organic ecological farming in the hands of small farmers. Today, one of the big movements is around regenerative agriculture. We have the power, we will change, and we will be the change we want to see, and no one is going to stop us. Bandana Shiva is Monsanto's worst nightmare. We will not be stopped. We have a duty to save seeds. Little old lady from India. <laughs> Why does she drive you nuts? <laughs> Wow, so that was the trailer for The Seeds of Vandana Shiva, which um, talks about that in a very impressive environmental activist. Um, yeah, and Ed, you said you've seen, the, you've seen the movie and you would recommend it, is that right? Yeah, I would, I would definitely recommend it. I think it's everyone's responsibility to start investigating exactly what's happened. And there's this been this sort of economy of death that's been created by these companies. So Monsanto is owned by Bayer and to date they've settled over $10 billion worth of damages for cancer cases in court. So this is serious stuff. Wait, sorry, they've, they've, for cancer cases, where's the cancer? What, what's that like? It's linked to the pesticide use. Um, but uh, ironically, Bayer also create anti-cancer drugs. So it's, it's a horrible, oh, vicious circle. Right. Okay. So yeah, so obviously the trailer and her big thing seems to be all about um, regenerative farming and helping uh, small farmers and taking on big corporations in that way. That's it. In the 1980s, Monsanto went into India and bought everyone's local seed banks and replaced them with their GMO seeds, which they promised would fight disease. It, and it turns out that the actual genetics in their local seeds were much better at dealing with their environments than a seed that was created in a laboratory. Um, local Indians went to their other villages in their proximity to try and buy their seed banks back. But it turns out they'd bought the seed off pretty much everyone. Oh, right. So like really having a monopoly on the whole thing. Exactly. Once you own the DNA of a seed, you own that DNA. If it cross pollinates to a farmer's field who does not own that seed and hasn't bought that seed, then that gives these companies an opportunity to sue that farmer who never bought their seed, who never wanted it pollinated by a GMO crop. It is a monopolization on nature. Gosh, well, I think we might have to have you back at some point to go into all this more detail because we are running out of time. We've got 20 seconds left. But Ed, thank you so much for coming in and uh, talking to us. It's been really interesting. And anyone who's interested, please check out Root, uh, Roots Allotments. Yeah, thanks. Thank you so much. It's been amazing talking to you. And I hope people are inspired by this conversation. <laughs>